Matthew chapter 20, if you happen to have a Bible. Let me give you a quote from Dr. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a great theologian and minister back in England in the 18th century. Here's what he wrote. He says, not many of us are living at our best. We linger in the lowlands because we're afraid to climb the mountains. The steepness and ruggedness dismay us. So we stay in the misty valleys and don't learn the mystery of the hills. We do not know what we lose in our self-indulgence, what glory awaits if only we had the courage for the mountain climb. What blessing we would find if only we would move to the uplands of God. Too low they build who build beneath the stars. Wow. See, people of God, people of faith, ought to be people who have a view that's always looking up, always anticipation, always an atmosphere of expectation. Miracles occur in the atmosphere of expectation, not same old, same old. And so no matter what life's throwing at us, whether what chaos is going on in the world, whether it's medical or political or economic, we're people of faith. We live by scripture. We're members of a new kingdom. We have passports to that kingdom. We have covenant benefits that overrule anything natural around us. So I'm always thinking, okay, everything I'm going through is short term. It will come to an end. This too shall pass. So I'm always expected. Be an upward looking person. Now, Matthew chapter 20, and I want to read verse 29 following to 32. As Jesus and the disciples left the town of Jericho, a large crowd followed behind. Two blind men were sitting beside the road. When they heard Jesus was coming that way, they began shouting, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. Shut up, be quiet, the crowd yelled at them. Don't you know nobody in our family ever got healed? Okay, so I just added that, all right. But they only shouted louder, Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. When Jesus heard them, he stopped and he called out, what do you want me to do for you? And that's the question Jesus asks all of us. Now that kind of a question doesn't make sense to me in my understanding. I mean, the dudes are blind. Hello? And he says, what do you want me to do for you? See, not every sick person wants to be made whole. Not every person with a handicap sticker in their car, especially a Lamborghini, <laughs> wants to be made well. They want to be able to park close to the entrance and get a lot of attention. Not everybody, but a lot of people more than you think. If you take away their infirmity, they've got nothing to talk about. They don't get any sympathy. The point of conversation is now removed. They have to work, be responsible. The sympathy that they elicit from others is now removed. You know, all of us have had a grandma who always had some plague of Egypt. And that, that's what, oh, grandma, are you feeling that? Oh, oh, they love that. They don't want to be well. So not everybody wants to be made well. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus said. And by the way, there's a guy at the pool of Bethesda who had been sick 18 years, and the son of Almighty God asked him, you want to be well? I think we, get to, we need a fresh acquaintance with who Jesus is. I mean, he's, he's not running up to everybody. He's saying, what do you want, Sparky? You want a warmer blanket? 
You want a softer pillow? You want to be well. So a good question for all of us to ask ourselves this morning. What do you want? Verse 34 and 33 and 34. Lord, they said, we want to see Jesus. We want to see, sorry. Jesus felt sorry for them and touched their eyes. Instantly they could see. Then they followed him. So here's two guys in an unbearable predicament. I mean, not being able to see has got to be a major challenge in life. And let me pause here to say, I'm going to have to have a cataract taken off my eyes. You, apparently it's protein buildup. And, and my optometrist says, yes, it's your age. I love that. Everybody has them and most have had them removed. So she said, at this point, you're not even going to be able to pass a driver's test. <laughs> I'm just talking about the good news of age. Isn't it wonderful? Joy to the world. Merry Christmas. So, I mean, pretty soon I'm going to have print this big so I can read it. Right. Go ahead and laugh at me, but some of you are worse. Some of you are worse, and I know it. So it's got to be a major challenge in life. Yet here, they see in Jesus a resource. Someone they could touch that could change everything about their life. And the minute their eyes opened, everything regarding their current situation was going to change forever. See, and the reality is that it means coming to Jesus is a new way of looking at things, a new way of living, a new way of listening. It's a brand new way to think. It's a new world that demands adjustment and change. God makes all things new. These blind men were convinced of one thing. If they could just make contact with Jesus, they knew that predicament would cease and absolutely nothing was going to stop them. They were going to get what they needed that day. That was their attitude. And they're going to do it despite the fact they were facing resistance all around them. And may I say to you, if you tell Jesus what you want, and I'm not talking about something evil, I'm talking about something valid, and you want it, it's a dream, it's a vision, there are going to be people close to you shouting, shut up, be quiet, nobody's ever done that in our family, you don't have the right degree, you, you've got this in your past, you don't qualify for it, no one's ever done it from our family. You're going to face the same thing. And if you don't have that, you'll get the enemy telling you in your mind, boy, I wonder, I don't have much of a chance on this, but I'm going for it. So there's always going to be the naysayer that tries to shoot down what you want God to do for you. Now, I believe this, that it's in the heart of humankind to push the limits or break new records, to go boldly where nobody else has ever been. Now, you don't have to be a Star Trek fan to believe that. Yeah. I, you know... How many of you really think you've reached your max potential? I don't believe we've hit 75% of our potential. And sadly, a lot of people will just camp there and stop climbing. Now, I'm a reasonably good student of church history, and I'm aware of what God has done, but I'm a lot more concerned about what God's going to do. Because according to Scripture, it says the latter is always greater than the former. The glory of the latter house shall exceed the glory of the former. So I don't care about the past. I don't care about a past girlfriend or boyfriend or a past uh, years in life. I, I love right now. I don't want to go back to anything. Get your high school annual, look at it, and see if you want to go back. <laughs> Get a picture of your ex and see if you want to go back. <laughs> yeah, I know it's sad, isn't it, y'all? I don't want to go back to anything. I'm loving life the best we've ever had it right now. 
So what is required for that to happen is that somebody has to wake up, smell the coffee and say, I've lived in the lowland, the valley, the rut too long and I'm getting out. You say, well, our family and, and our generation and my background and my neighborhood, no one's ever done that. All right, then be the first. Nobody's ever owned a home. Be the first. Nobody's ever held a job. Be stable. You can make these choices. I've told you many times, you know, my father was divorced five times. What a joy he was, huh? Put him on bachelorette or bachelor, I don't know. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be like that. You know, that's not what I want home to be like. Maybe you had a bad background, but let it be motivation to say, I'm not going to live like that with the power of God, the grace of God, and the favor of God. I don't have to live like that. I can change my future, and so can you. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus said. And to get out of that rut means I've got to touch him, connect with him. And it means that everything's going to be transformed and different when I do. You know, people like that start marching to the beat of a different drummer. They're irritating to people who don't want to change. Religious people are the worst when it comes to changing. You know, they say only a wet baby likes change. But God says, I change not. That means I do. I have to change. If I'm going to be transformed, I've got to have change in my life. If you're going to do the same thing the same way, if you're going to come to work late all the time, if you're always going to be sick, if you're always going to be unaccountable, always unfaithful, you're never going to achieve anything. You're going to have to change. Change your habit, your thinking, your behavior, or pretty soon you're going to be shelf life. That's it. It's going to expire. And so retail institutions, restaurants, everything has to be faced with change. Airlines, the way we do church, have to change or die. I call it COD, change or die. And that's how you're going to go into 2021, COD. It, everybody has to make adjustments. We don't give up any truth, but we have to adjust method, style, technique, how we do it, right? I'll guarantee you things have changed in your life. Things have changed in your job. Things have changed in your career. Things have changed in school, right, with students? Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying shouldn't be shocking to you. I'm trying to provoke you to a good work, see? But most people don't want to change. And sadly, a lot of them get offended because you do. You know, uh, you only outgrow people who won't grow. I don't outgrow somebody because I don't like them. It's just they refuse to grow and we're going on. And if you won't grow, if you won't expand, then we'll have to leave you behind. So they were offended at Jesus always. But to break out of the pack, you have to shout so loud. The crowd is trying to stop you. You're making so much noise. But you see to it, you get what none of the others have ever gotten. All it takes is one person. Somebody's got to get it. And I pray we'll all get it. Let's determine to become all we can possibly be. And I don't have to join the army to be all I can be. We're in the army of the Lord anyway. And as we present the message of Christ, we ought to be concerned that I am becoming what I'm trying to invite people to. See, I want to challenge you to step out of all the safe confines of comfort where you currently live. You'll never get a miracle in your comfort zone. You will never grow in your comfort zone. And don't we say growing pains? When you grow, you're uncomfortable. 
You say, well, I ain't been uncomfortable in five years. Well, that tells me a lot. You haven't grown. You're doing the same thing the same way, and until you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, nothing's going to change. Change, see? So, where you currently live or the place where God dwells occasionally will provoke you to jealousy. Historically, there have always been people who seem to get what they wanted from God. Let me give you a couple. Moses. Moses' first attempt to be a deliverer of Israel ended in total failure. And he ended up on the backside of the desert for 40 years. But something happened during that time that made him a man God could trust. And God entrusted leadership of a whole nation to Moses. You know, God described him as the meekest man on earth and one of the greatest leaders that ever lived. Now, why is that important to know? Because anybody that's going to do anything meaningful will have to overcome personal failure. And maybe by watching today online or in this room, some of you are so haunted by your past failure, you think you can never get through it, get over it, or that God would ever use you. See, you're going to have to refuse to be a prisoner of your past or else you're not going anywhere. Paul says, forgetting those things that are behind, I press forward. I don't care how bad it was. You've learned, trust me, you've learned your lesson. If it was your fault, you repented, you're sorry. Now move on. Move on and grow with life. You can't just keep feeling sorry or you don't understand forgiveness. All right? The story should tell us that a man who could fail at the level Moses did and still be influential like he was ought to give all of us some hope for the future. Then there's a guy named Joshua. He was trained by Moses. And one day he commanded the sun to stand still. Oh, that's audacious, huh? And it stopped. Amazingly, he's a man just like us. He's beset with weaknesses, challenges, but he tells the sun, stop. And it stopped. Man. And, and of course, he wasn't out there showing off. Watch me, everybody. No, no. He was fighting the enemies of the nation and the sun was going down and he's going to run out of time to whip them. And he says, sun stands still. What audacious praying. When is the last time you prayed something audacious? When is the last time you shocked yourself? You ought to get bored first with yourself. Said, I haven't prayed anything scary in a long time. Then there's a guy named Jacob. Here's a young man with an identity crisis. His brother was the star in high school. He dated all the girls. He's got the highest level of testosterone in the family. Esau's a hairy man, a hunter. He's the star athlete. Everybody who saw him at a local bar must have thought, hey, he's the Marlboro man. This is the guy. Jacob, he stayed home with mommy. He cooked and he did macrame. But Jacob wanted his father's blessings and he lied to get it because it was so important to him. And you know, father's blessings might be very important to some of you and you might still be looking for it today. And if you don't understand the fatherhood of God, it'll drive you to all the wrong places to get what father didn't give you. It drove Jacob away from home. He lied. His father asked, who are you? He said, I'm Esau, your firstborn. And he ended up now in exile. Frustration followed him everywhere he went. Everything he put his hand to until he decided he couldn't take it anymore. So he decided to return home. 
And on the way, one night, the Bible says he was left alone. Sometimes that's not as bad as we might think. He was left alone with God. And this was a God moment. And now he couldn't be influenced by anybody else. Even the people close to him are gone. So he wrestled with the angel of the Lord all night. And guess what happened? Jacob tells the angel, I won't let you go until you bless me. Wow, that's audacious. He seized the moment. I think God's looking for a little bit of audaciousness from us. Come on, just a little bit, you know? A, a people who look God in the face and say, what I know about you tells me that if I lay hold of you today, I'm gonna get what I need and become different as a result of it. So Jacob says to this angel, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the blessing came in the form of another question. The same question his father had asked him years earlier. Who are you? The Amplified Bible says this. In shock of realization, he whispered, I am Jacob. I'm everything my name represents. I'm a cheat. I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. And God looked at him and said, way to go. You will no longer be Jacob. You'll be Israel, a prince with God. Wow. See, there's hope for all of us, right? That's what we're supposed to get encouragement from this. And then there's Elisha. There's a young upstart prophet who goes to the great prophet Elijah, one of the greats of the Bible. And I think we'd all be terrified to be around that old guy because you never know what he's going to uncover. <laughs> yeah, but that's not good, huh? So what does Elisha say to Elijah? I want a double portion of what you've got. See, he wasn't being arrogant. He realized that with more, he could take it to a new level. And he had to overcome all kinds of resistance and challenges the old prophet put on him. But he endured. And at the end, he got exactly what he asked for. Then there's a guy named Solomon. God gives him an opportunity to ask whatever he wants. Think about that. And Solomon doesn't hesitate. He asks for wisdom. And that's extremely pleasing in the sight of God. So people came from all over the world to seek the wisdom of Solomon. And Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are part of that wisdom. You ought to read one every day, a chapter. It's wisdom for today. It brought him riches, fame, and influence beyond his wildest imagination. Now, why did he get it? Well, not because he deserved it, for crying out loud, but God looked at his heart. And can I say this morning, people don't like it when you get what they think you don't deserve, even in church. But God in his sovereignty will pour favor on somebody whose heart we cannot see, and that's the time to be their cheerleader. I love it. I mean, this is a grace of God. He, he does things for people we don't approve of, that we don't like, that we don't think God should do that for because we're thinking he should do it for me. I'm better than him. And I haven't had what he's had. I haven't done what he's done. So God, you owe me. God doesn't owe you squat. God gives you grace, unmerited, undeserved favor. And he looks on the heart. And sometimes, you know, we're tempted to judge and we can't see the heart. But get behind the people. When God puts favor on somebody, get up close. Get some of that to spill on you. Bless what God is blessing. Support them. Cheer the fact that somebody has more than what you've got. And when your season of favor comes, 
generally they'll be behind you as well. And then there's a guy named Peter. He's like one of the three stooges. He's always getting it wrong, always. He's my greatest inspiration. But in one majestic moment, he's in a boat, in a storm. He sees Jesus walking on the water and oh, Pete stands up and the other disciples are in the boat too. And he says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Oh my gosh, can you imagine what the other disciples are thinking? Peter, you've lost your mind. And then when Peter realizes what he said in a storm, he probably wonders, oh God, what did I just say? And then Jesus says, come. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd like a little more detail. Like, how? Uh, you want me to breaststroke? You want me ride? You're going to put Shamu up here? Can I ride him to you? You got me a wave runner? What do you mean, come? How am I going to do this? God sometimes will give you a command and not give you any details. You have to initiate. And that's a good thing. Initiate. He didn't put limits on your initiation. He just says, come. And Peter got out and walked on the water. Now, we all know later he began to sink. And a typical Christian, that's all they point out. Yeah, but Peter sank. Yeah, but the dude is the only man other than Jesus that ever walked on water. You can't walk on a bathtub. What are you talking about? At least he got in some, he got in some water walking. I've never done that. I want to see people walk on the water, even if it's just a little while, just to help others who are living in fear, in the safety of the boat, living a boring, routine, mundane, sterile, beige, odorless, colorless life. I know. <laughs> I know. It's, it's pitiful. And they come to church, too. And I'm thinking, doesn't anything jack you up? You know, well, I don't, you don't have angels in the church. You don't have crosses in the church. No. Well, Jesus ain't on the cross either, you know. And number two, what's that got to do with anything? That doesn't, I just marvel at people. Religious people are the most difficult people to change. They are absolutely, I don't know what, they, get, they hear one song in 1950, and that's, that's, that's how we should do it. Uh, or there was a style they came in in 1950 or in the 40s, and they think, well, that's the way it has to be done. And they don't have any idea that other than God's word, truth, nothing, everything's up for change. Method, style, how you do it, time, day. Bible says you can worship any day you want, but you can't be redeemed. You can't be justified by a day. Let every man be fully persuaded in his heart, Romans 14. But, of course, people that worry about angels and crosses don't read the Bible. They don't know anyway. I mean, we're ignorant. I mean, you better show me Scripture, and then you got me. You can put me on the mat with clear Scripture. An opinion is just that, an opinion. And if it's not scriptural, it's just your conscience or your preference, Romans 14 again. So know what you know, but be sure you know what you don't know and be open to what God might want to do. If Peter came back today and saw church, our style, our way in the 21st century, he'd freak. They didn't do it this way. And you can't prove to me even how they did it. We don't even know what the order of a service was. And we don't lay on the floor. I'm glad about that, aren't you? They didn't have any musical instruments that we know of. And I'm trying to say, loosen up. Be open 
to God doing something fresh and new in your life or your marriage and, and, and start believing that, yeah, well, maybe God can do something miraculous for me. Sure he can. I mean, pray, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. See, I believe God's inviting some of you to get out of the boat of boredom and do some water walking. You, you, you heard Ken and his wife talking about, we took a step of faith and upped what we were doing. What they were doing was acceptable and proper, a biblical man, but they stepped above that and all heaven broke loose. See, all right, I'm not, I'm not telling you to do what they did. I'm trying to say that when God speaks to you and gives you a challenge, it'll be uncomfortable. It'll be a little bit frightening, but it'll make you grow. And you give God a chance to do something he hasn't been doing because you're doing something you haven't been doing. And you will not fail. God will never leave you or forsake you. But you're going to have to get out of where you are to get where you're supposed to be. Now, let me mention this issue of wanting something from God. Because there's wanting that's appropriate and there's wanting that's not appropriate. This wanting is so deep and passionate, it resonates on the inside of you. It's got to be declared, spoken, articulated. It's a kind of wanting that led Joseph to describe the kind of uh, dream that he had. And I think his biggest mistake was sharing it with people who were all underachievers, his brothers. And, and it offended all of them, even his father. It made them look bad. Dreamers don't have a long life expectancy. We get rid of dreamers. They upset the status quo. They force change. Aren't you glad we don't go to the wall, pick up the receiver with a string and crank the phone and connect to an operator and then remember push button? Remember we had copper tone, we had green, we had for the different phones. And now we have speed dial, except you don't dial, you push a button on your smartphone, right? I'm glad. Steve Jobs, wherever he is. I'm glad old Steve Jobs didn't go with the status quo. I'm glad when they did computers, laptops, and people said people have no need for a computer. That's only for a business. And, and probably 90% of you have an iPad or a computer. How many of you have a personal computer or an iPad? Just, well, hello. Look at there, Steve. Or I don't know which way to look. Steve, I, I don't know. Thank you. Thank you for taking a risk. Thank you. I, I was in, I was in, well, I want to give credit where credit's due. I was in Memphis, Tennessee. I'm a little sparky this morning, so maybe I'll go a few minutes, okay? Fred Smith lived in Memphis, Tennessee. His daddy worked with the United States Post Office. And being a kid, you're going to hear daddy come home and talk about mail and what was good, what was bad. And he got an idea listening to his dad. It may have been a dream of his dad or just a random thought, but he wrote a research paper in college and the professor gave him a C on it, his thesis for his master's on overnight mail delivery. And they said, totally ludicrous, would never work, impractical, blah, 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 blah. Fred Smith went on to found FedEx and built the largest airline in the world with overnight mail delivery. And he forced every other mail carrier in the world to change. I love that. So he just kicked that dream in the face of the skeptics and the college professors. And sometimes folks, the experts don't know. Don't you let experts kill your dream. They've never been where you are. They've never seen what you see or feel. 
and he changed the world. And he's a Christian, by the way. I was in the house of his, I addressed the home group he was part of, and to give you an idea of the people in that home group that I had no idea who I was talking to, not only Fred Smith, but the guys that blow up buildings. You know, they go in, put charges in, and bring a building down. Holy cow. And I thought, looky where I am. And I thought, most interesting. But Fred says the problem with Christians is most of them are consumers, very few produce. And so we want to make sure we're productive in life. You don't want to be limited to the government. You don't want to be limited to others. You want to be independent as best you can be, reliant on God, of course. So these kind of people force change. And the person who has this passionate wanting inside of them is like two blind men. And they're shouting, I've got to have this. I will have this. That's the kind of passionate desire we're talking about, the good kind of wanting. That kind of wanting requires being specific too. Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Seems obvious, but not always. I think many prayers are sort of nebulous. You know, they're afraid to describe the specifics of what you want because you're, you're afraid perhaps of being disappointed. So you never want to look like a failure. So you never ask for anything. You have not because you ask not. Now, if Jesus said that, I ought to be able to say it boldly to you. Well, I asked for it once, and God didn't do it. But if you read the Greek language, it's, it's imperative in, it, in its uh, structure, which means it's continuous case imperative. It means keep on asking, keep on asking. And God gave the story of the impotent uh, widow, the little widow who went to a judge, and he said, I don't fear God, I don't fear man, but this woman won't leave me alone. She keeps coming and coming in to get justice. And her continual company drove, uh, coming drove him nuts. And he said, I'll give her what she wants. And Jesus said, that's how we pray. We keep coming. We keep coming because we have an adversary trying to block us. Daniel prayed 21 days. And God said, I heard you the first day you prayed. I dispatched an angel, but the prince, propality of Persia, held him up. So I sent uh, Gabriel to take him out of the way and he got his prayer answered. God hears your prayer the moment you pray it. But don't forget, you're under attack. You've got an enemy, an adversary, and he's trying to thwart you. Pray intensely. Pray continuous. Pray without ceasing, the Bible says. Don't give up. Don't back down. Don't get lazy. I think it's important not only to tell God what you want, occasionally tell somebody else, a trusted friend, because they're going to follow up on you and say, how are you doing? How's that diet going? How's your, how's your workout going? You said you were going to, how's that side business working for you? Have you started it? Blah, 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 blah. Check up on them. A lot of people don't want to share a drink because they don't want somebody to check up on them to see they haven't done anything. Where do you want to be at the end of this year? Specifically, what kind of a person do you want to become? What do you want to change? How much do you want to give? Set a goal. Express it every day. And by the end of the year, I'll guarantee you, you're going to have your best year you've had so far. And you may not have reached the, the pinnacle of all the dreams or goals, but you will have grown. You'll be bigger. You'll be better. See, what, what kind of impact do you want to make? Be specific. Aimless praying means that our prayers will be driven by crisis, and crisis praying seldom produces the results we're looking for. If we're not being specific in the good times, then when things go bad, we won't even know how to access God. Desperation praying is not supposed to be the life of a man or a woman of faith. 
God does occasionally answer a desperate prayer, but we are meant to live a lifestyle of faith where daily we draw on God for every single thing we need. You ought to, just like you eat, you ought to pray every day so that when crisis comes, I don't have to suddenly seek prayer. I'm in it daily. I'm in the fight daily. And you ought to be as well. Don't wait till all hell breaks loose. Say, well, I guess I better pray. Let me go ask Rick, pray for me and fix this. Don't bring it to me when it's beat up, run over, looks like roadkill. Let's get on that sucker early, right? So when you pray daily, you got something in the bank you can draw on in a crisis. Paul was effective because he was focused. He said, I fight all right, but not as the guy who just beats the air. That's in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, you waste more energy missing punches than when you connect. Paul's effectiveness was linked to the fact he knew what the target was. What do you want? Identify that. And by the end of the year, this 2021, your life can be completely different than the one you're living now. Now, what I learned from those people who were able to get from God what they wanted and what they needed was that it was rooted in a confidence in God. It wasn't a confidence in their own ability or themselves, but they believed this God could be trusted, that what God said he would do, he would do. And that ought to drive every part of your life and being. See, if we're ever going to see the things we're believing for, there's got to be an underlying belief our God is trustworthy. In fact, he's so trustworthy that even when we're faithless, he remains faithful. Because now and then there will be moments of self-doubt, moments of questioning, moments of challenge and hardship. And the only thing you have to hold on to is the fact our God is faithful. He's a covenant keeping God and he is good and he's for you. Never is he against you. He's never had a day he felt bad about you ever. The people that get what they want and needed from God were people who were persuaded to the core of their being that God's intent was to do good to his people. Uh, let me give you two last verses here. Hebrews 11 verse 16. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So if we want to reach a new level, something different will be demanded of us. And last, John chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. The truth is, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done, even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, because the work of the Son brings glory to the Father. Yeah, ask anything in my name, and I will do it. And then John 16 Verse 23, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. The truth is you can go directly to the Father and ask him, and he will grant your request because you use my name. Have you ever used somebody's name to open a door and it gave you special treatment because you dropped a name that had power or influence? And because of that name, it got you in. Listen, Matthew chapter 7. Keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open. For everyone who keeps on asking receives. Everyone who keeps on seeking finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, parents, he says, 
If your children ask you for a loaf of bread, do you give them a rock? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Keep on asking. Dream big. Risk big. Ask big. Give big. Serve big. Don't stay in a little bitty rut. Don't swim in a mud hole. Get out in the ocean. Grow. Get a different environment around you. Be transformed. All the construction guys in here know what it is to make a form and pour concrete in it. And that concrete's going to take the shape of the form. But if you're transformed, it means to go over the mold, go over the form. And God says, I want you to be transformed over the small-minded role you were grown up, you grew up with, or in your, your home, or in your, your religious background. I want you to step over it, be transformed, go over. I want you to think bigger. Didn't Paul say, now unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all you ask or think. You ought to walk out here today saying, I need to think bigger. You say, well, Rick, it's a tough time right now. Sure it is. So double up for it. Get you a side business. Team up with somebody for a side business. Uh, generate another source of income. You've got to be creative. God gave you the Holy Spirit, a spirit of wisdom. Maybe it's a multi-level marketing on the side. Maybe it's taking some educational courses when you're at home on the computer. Yeah, well, it's inconvenient. Life is inconvenient. Marriage is inconvenient. Kids are inconvenient. The whole point is, if you're not willing to be inconvenienced, you're gonna die right where you are. But if you wanna change, you gotta do something you've never done to get something you've never had. And I wanna suggest you go for it. I would much rather face God and Him say, you ask for too much. <laughs> but nowhere in the Bible does that ever occur. I'd rather have God say, whoa, Summit, than would you giddy up? Yo, slow mule, go, let's go, dream big, give big, let's make a difference. Quit sitting on comfort. Quit thinking, well, I got AARP and Medicare, what more do I need? A dream, a dream. Do I look like AARP or Medicare or cataracts? Yeah, well, we can fix that. But you can't fix a bad attitude, bad, bad thinking, negative thinking. And if the people in your family or your group or your socioeconomic group or your racial group, if they're talking trash and limiting the, the authority of God's word, you need some new friends. You need, God says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, that way of thinking. I'm gonna think bigger. And I've, we've got a few people who climbed out of the narrow-minded, small-minded victim mentality of their family and went on to build their own business. Thank God for them. There's always the dreamers. I'm wondering, have we got any dreamers in here? Some of you young adults yet to be married. What, what's your dream? Dream big. Think impossible. God will give you connections. God will give you wisdom. God will let you see something, read something that will help be a key and invite God into it to do something you've never done before. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit SummitSA.com.